The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. So this morning in 1 John chapter 2, from verse 12 to 14, we learn about the assurance of Christian growth. The assurance of Christian growth. See, coming back to 1 John, we have an exciting text that will give us the comfort that we are moving towards Christ. Or it will bring the conviction in a form of a question, why am I not moving towards Christ? So that's why we need to study Christian growth. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the child of God who was born but yesterday is not as completely sanctified as he will be. He is not as completely instructed as he will be. He is not as completely conformed to the image of Christ as he will be. But he is completely pardoned. Dear friends, I think let's just put it out there. When we are saved, we are completely pardoned. We don't work for or work towards complete forgiveness. At the moment of our salvation, we are completely forgiven. For example, the dying thief, the thief on the cross. Uh, some would say, you know, but if you're not baptized, you won't be saved. Uh, or if you're not baptized, you can't go to heaven. But what about the thief on the cross who had mere minutes? And in his repentance, he didn't live a Christian life. He didn't experience the Christian life. But in mere minutes, the Lord Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's justification. Well, we want to question, but what about someone on their deathbed? They, they, they haven't experienced obedience. To be forgiven is to be excused from sin. So that's the first reality, even before coming to our text, because that's what our text also introduces, is that no matter where you are on the platform, if I could call it that, the platform of Christian growth, we are all, as children of God, completely forgiven. So, today as we look at Christian growth, I want us to look at what it is and what it isn't. Because in both cases, we can have the assurance of our growth in the Lord. And, and, and it will challenge our pursuit to be more and more like Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. <clears throat> That's the reading of the Lord's Word this morning. And it brings us right into it. The first point that we need to deal with is the misconceptions of Christian growth. The misconceptions 
of Christian growth. You see, a lot of us can be mistaken to think that we grow as we do. The more we do, the more we grow. But Christian growth is a privilege. Christian growth is to become more like Christ. Ultimately, to become more like Christ is the goal, isn't it? When, when Paul says to the Philippians, he says, I press on to the goal. The goal and the prize. The prize is the goal. The goal is the prize. It's to be like Christ. It is to be with Christ. That's the goal of our Christian growth. Uh, friends, I want to challenge you and say, before I go any further, if you have no desire to become like Christ, then please do not be mistaken and think you are saved. Because upon our salvation, we're given a new desire to pursue His righteousness. Now, Scripture has a lot to say about the, the process of Christian growth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 tells us how important it is for us to grow, uh, to grow up into Him who is the head of all things. So Christian growth means to grow in Christ. Paul uses the word to grow up in Him. What do children do? They grow up. So as children of God, we need to grow up in Christ. Another way to describe Christian growth is with the term sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification is the middle process of our salvation. You see, firstly, we are justified. That's what John says here in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You are justified. The moment you are saved and you stand before God, He has made you right. In other words, you no longer stand before Him as a sinner. But you stand before Him, according to Galatians, robed in Christ's righteousness. That's the beginning of our salvation. But then there's this whole life a lot of us are privileged to live called sanctification. In which the whole goal, the idea, the process is to become more like Jesus Christ. Therefore, I want to share just some clarifying truths about our Christian growth. And the first is this, Christian growth has nothing to do with your standing before God. That's not Christian growth. That's a fact. That is a reality. You are positioned in Him. It's got nothing to do with growth. Our standing before God in Christ has been done the moment we are saved. That's our justification. Therefore, John says, for His name's sake. It's in Christ that you are forgiven. It's in Christ that you stand free from any guilt before the Father. This doesn't change, right? Not when you fall into sin, don't think it changes and now all of a sudden I'm once again a sinner. Colossians 2 verse 10 says, in Him you have been made complete. Right? Whether you are a spiritual child, a spiritual young man, or a spiritual father, it has nothing to do with your standing before God. So don't think that standing before God is part of growing in Christ. No, no, no. 
That's a position. That's a gift. Secondly, Christian growth has nothing to do with God's love for you. And I want to clarify. We saw this last week in John 13. John 13 tells us that Jesus loved His disciples to the end. What does that mean? Does it mean that till His end He loved them? Or till their end He loved them? No, the translation is perfection. He loved them to perfection. His love for them didn't grow, it didn't change, it didn't adapt. His love for them was perfect. And so we might be tempted to believe that as I grow more like Christ, He loves me more. Brother and sister, Romans 5 says that His love for us is already perfect. So Christian growth has got nothing to do with God's love for us. God's love for us is, is perfect. Are we perfect? By no means. Were the disciples perfect? By no means. Still, Romans 3 reminds us that even in, in our sin, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. That's His love for us. So He doesn't love us less when we are less mature or love us more when we become more mature. His love is perfect. Thirdly, Christian growth has nothing to do with a period of time. You might be tempted to think, but I'm older now. So I've grown. I'm a more mature believer. But that's not necessarily true. We are tempted to believe that when someone has been saved for a really long time, 20 years, 30, 30 years, they must be mature. They must have grown. But there are actually two occasions in Scripture where the writers rebuke the churches because they should have been a lot more mature than when he found them. Let me explain. Paul writes to the Corinthians and the writer to the Hebrews writes the same thing. That they are showing a lot of immaturity because of jealousy, because of false teachers, because the lack of pursuing growth. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says, that these people were still spiritual infants. He tells them, he says, do we need to go back to the elementary teachings, the basics of how the gospel works and how you are saved? Because this isn't where you should be. So we're tempted to think, but listen, I've been a, t- a Christian for five years, or I've been a Christian for 50 years. I'm more mature than you. Our growth has nothing to do with time. Fourthly, Christian growth has nothing to do with activity or busyness. You could run the town's soup kitchen. You could be busy with the outreach programs. There's all sorts of services that you can be busy with and yet not grow in Christ. That you not experience any growth. I think that that's where there's a focus. The focus is more on participation instead of being involved. Many of us will sign up to a list and serve, but we're participating. We're not being involved. We're not sharing in the love. We're not making sacrifices. We're not being attentive. 
I think one of the best illustrations I can think of in the Gospels is Mary and Martha. Christ comes into town. It's very important. They are beloved friends, in fact. That's what the Gospel of Luke tells us. That, that Jesus, Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus were, were really close friends. And so Jesus comes into town and they invite him in. What's the first thing Scripture tells us? Martha gets busy. Man, does she get busy. She's probably cooking up a storm. I know many of our dear ladies who would do that. And the Lord bless you. That's just such a service. But she gets so busy and so wrapped up in her participation. Uh, when she cries out to Mary and wants to rebuke poor Mary, Jesus says, Martha, you've missed the good portion. See, Mary was just being. She was with Christ. She's seated at His feet. She's ready to serve at His command. But Martha is busy assuming she's serving His command. And Jesus says to her, you are missing the good portion. So don't think that busyness is, is a sign of Christian maturity. It might be a sign of Christian immaturity. Friends, another misconception about Christian growth is to look at milestones or supposed successes. We want to look at the size of the church. We want to look at the size of the Bible study, the size of the Sunday school and say, because it's so big, because it's bursting at the seam, it must be mature. Let me speak outside my turn. But dear friends, part of the biggest churches in the world are being led astray. So if it's about size, you're missing the point. Size has nothing to do with Christian growth. Paul, just to look at his life as an example, Paul was content with suffering, with persecution, with weakness. And said he was content with nothing else but Christ. That is a sign of maturity. Not looking at numbers, not looking at performance, but being content. So friends, to summarize it, Christian growth has nothing to do with your standing before God or God's love for you. It's got nothing to do with time or activity. It's got nothing to do with prosperity. The point is, you could be saved for a very short time. And if you are walking in the Spirit, if you are obeying God, then you are spiritual. You are, or should be, growing into Christ's likeness. And if you're not, you might have been a Christian for 20 years and not grown a single day. And it could mean that you're more in the flesh than in the spirit. You see, we could say that at any point in a believer's life, we're either in the spirit or we're in the flesh. Right? Majority of the case, when we are in the flesh, we are busy with sin. But when we walk in the spirit, we are functioning in obedience to God. 
We obey His commands. We fulfill the love that which He loves us. So Christian growth, then, is the spiritual development of a person which takes place when we walk in the Spirit. See, all these misconceptions, every single one of them, what is common? The fact that that person is not in the Spirit. Listen, we can be busy with the most wonderful charities, but if we're not doing it, if we're not doing it in the Spirit, if we're not doing it in the love of God, it's vanity. There's no true service to God, and therefore we don't truly grow. The more we walk in the Spirit, the more we grow in the Spirit. And there's a number of ways the Bible talks about um, spiritual growth. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 11, spiritual growth means to follow after righteousness. Are you following after righteousness? Romans 12 verse 2 says that spiritual growth is when we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says that growing in holiness is to be in the fear of God. Finally, Colossians 2 verse 7 says that Christian growth is when we are being built up in the faith. It means to be busy with God. Not the things around God, not the things that seem godly, but to be with God, to be in the Word of God. Which brings us to our second point this morning. We only have the two points. The theology of Christian growth, or the study, the doctrine of Christian growth. And again, I'll read our, our passage portion for portion. But to remind you, I want to say that Christian growth is a process of taking the truth of God and growing in Him on the basis of believing that truth or, or responding to that truth. A lot of us feel that in our Bible study, it's as if we cannot go deeper. Well, it's because we just read the book and put it down. We're not meditating. We're not studying the Word. We're not praying for the Spirit to reveal the truth in the Word, to, to make us part of the Word. That's why it feels like you're stuck, in a, in, you know, in against a wall with your Bible study. There's no devotion to it. Listen, you cannot grow spiritually unless you grow in your understanding of God's truth. Therefore, John, in his text, gives us these three stages, or three categories, right? He talks about children, or young men, and, and spiritual fathers. Now, the reason Scripture portrays this idea is because not all of us are on the same maturity levels. Some of us do need to study more and grow more, be before the Lord more. And so John writes these verses to help believers discern where they are. 
Where are you before the Lord? Are you still a baby? Are you a young man? Or are you a spiritual father? That's why John writes this. And so friends, I want you to use this as a mirror this morning. Look into the Word of God and ask yourself, where am I and how do I grow? How do I grow? Now, in verse 12, John starts with a general statement. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. He's writing to true believers, okay? All of us are little children. We're children of God. But he's using a Greek term called um, technia, which means born ones. There's no reference to age here. It just means a born one. And it applies to all ages, okay? So he's saying, all of you who are children of God, your sins have been forgiven. Remember, that's justification. It's got nothing to do with growth. Justification is positional. You stand in His forgiveness. So no matter where you are, baby, young man, father, you have been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Him, that's Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. That's what John means when he says, for His name's sake. It's through Christ that you're forgiven. Remember the context of 1 John. There were false teachers in the church saying Jesus was just a man. That the way you get saved is through a higher knowledge, a special knowledge. John says, you are forgiven. How? In Christ. No other way. It's through Christ that you've been forgiven. Not because you're worthy of it, not because you think you deserve it, but because of His name's sake. You're forgiven. It simply means that you have been saved for His glory. It's the prayer of Psalm 25, verse 11, which says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. Pardon my guilt. That's it here. So, coming back to our common circumstance is we often doubt our salvation. And it's because of sin. However, John says, all God's children, no matter how much you've grown, don't think for a moment you are not a Christian because your sins have been forgiven. For His name's sake. I think that's also why we tend to think we can lose our salvation. Because we think we earned it in the first place. But since the beginning it was a gift. Since the beginning it's a gift. So, it brings us to these three categories in verse 13 and 14. Now, when we, once we've read it, we'll read it again. But you'll see, John repeats himself for emphasis because he wants this embedded in our minds. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. 
I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I want us to start with the little children in verse 13. We'll go children, young men, fathers, right? It's kind of, I know the text has it a bit scrambled. In verse 13 he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. Now, I love this because it's not the same reference as in verse 12. In verse 12 he uses the word technia, which means all children. But, but here he uses another Greek word, paidia, which means little child. Now, this is a little child that without any parental guidance would be ignorant. I mean, just look at, it. look at our toddlers in the church. Look at how they move. Look at where they're going. They're just completely oblivious, completely ignorant, unless guided, unless led. This is who he is talking about. He's talking about believers who haven't grown to a place where they can discern for themselves. It's those type of believers that when anyone comes to them and says, so-and-so says this about your salvation, you go, oh, that's cool. And then another person comes and says, no, 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 no. The Bible says this about yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's just ignorant to, to just take it all in. And we've all been there at some stage, right? At some stage in our Christian walk, we were paideia. The scary thing is some of us might still be paideia. Some of us have just become paideia. And that's exciting. We just experienced salvation. But without training, without instruction, it means we're vulnerable. Therefore, John says, this is what the spiritual child knows. God. That's all the verse says. I write to you children because you know the Father. And isn't that exciting? Just that. Because when, we, when we're saved, it's like this excitement once we experience God's love, that's it. We just, want, we just want that. We want the experience. We want the relationship. And it's so exciting. Other people come and say, yeah, but you know, I need to read the Bible and give this information. Like, no, 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 no. I'm in this relationship. It's great. I love this. I'm saved. Hallelujah. But you need to grow. No, 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 it's fine. I'm in Christ. Don't worry about it. This is exciting. Growth will come. See, little children are, are structured by affections rather than, than, than just knowledge. I mean, kids love their parents. They don't analyze their parents. They love their parents. It's not about information necessarily. It's about the relationship. It's about attachment. Which is great, right? Don't you just love it that your kids love you? I mean, if they knew what you thought of them when they don't listen, different story, isn't it? However, despite this excitement, despite how great it is, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 through 14 says, says this about spiritual babies, and it's very serious. Paul says, be no longer children. Be no longer children that are 
tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by the winds of doctrine. In other words, the trickery of men, the craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, watch out, you young ones, you babies. Grow up. Because there's a vulnerability in which you will be led astray. Your excitement can get you in trouble. Your zeal, it can get you in trouble without information, the correct information. So yes, it's exciting when, we, when we're saved and, and we just want to talk about God's love because it's a newness that we experience. But we need to encourage spiritual babies to grow up. That keep that excitement. Keep that excitement. But now listen to this. Listen to what the Word of God says about you, about Him, about the church, about obedience. So that we can grow up and become young men. Now that excitement shouldn't go away. But I've seen it in a lot of Christians that it tends to dull down. Dull down. And and you know the sad thing, I read a book um, about evangelism. Uh, What the author was saying is the church needs new believers on a regular basis so that that there would be this energy in the church. And I go, Lord bless you. I mean, that's not true. We shouldn't lose our zeal because of knowledge. In fact, our our zeal, Paul says, zeal plus knowledge? Oh man, just imagine. Now, I want to continue to the second category. And this is kind of that, that zeal plus knowledge. Young men, verse 13. I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Young men. Now, I'm not just talking about the young men. I'm talking about the level of young believers. So this is what John says. It's gone from a relationship to knowledge. We've now grown up. We've now learned. We know better. We know not to go to certain places or listen to certain people or even listen to certain music. We've grown up in the Lord. And so the second thing he says is, you have overcome the evil one. How did they do that? How do we do that? How do we overcome Satan? How do you overcome the evil one? He says, because you are strong. All right. But how do we get strong? He says in verse 14, because the word of God abides in you. And that's how we overcome the evil one. If you want to overcome temptation, you're not going to be able to unless you know what God's word says about the temptation. What the word of God says about the truth, about Christ, about our ability to overcome temptation. So he says to this this middle group of believers, you have overcome evil. You have overcome temptation. How? Well, you have information. You have the word of God living in you. They've been equipped with knowledge. Remember, children may be ignorant, but young men, according to John, have knowledge. They know doctrine. And so spiritually speaking, young men 
are Christians who have acquired a knowledge of the truth and are established in doctrine. Conviction, right? We all have convictions. A conviction that, that we believe God's word alone is the final and true inspiration. Conviction that you have to be saved and if you're not saved, you go to hell, right? Those are convictions, beliefs we hold to. And if we don't have conviction, then we're spiritual babies. We're ignorant. There needs to be conviction. And so the statement that stands out is, you have overcome the evil one. In other words, you've already done this. Now Satan is a liar. Amen? A deceiver. He works in false systems. And how does it work? He's a, he comes as, a, as an angel disguised. How? With dirt? How? With light. So he comes looking good, sounding good. Now, help me out here. What appeals to our temptation? That which looks good, sounds good. So we're like, huh. Let me give ear to this which sounds good. Let me pay attention to this which looks good. And so that's exactly how deception works, how Satan works. But how do we overcome the evil one? How do we overcome deception? If you don't know what deception is, uh, Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent comes to Eve, what happened? He asked her a question about God's word. Don't get lost in the visuals, the fruit and the this and the that. The serpent asked something about God's word. He challenged God's word. What did he say? Did God really say you will die? Well, well if you touch it, no, no. Huh. Interesting. Deception. It looks true. It looks good. But it's not. You're being deceived. You're being lured in. So how do we overcome deception? Sound doctrine. He says, The word of God abides in you. Sound doctrine. The truths about God. That's what it means. Sound doctrine refers to the biblical truths about us. God, the gospel, the plan of salvation. And so if you know sound doctrine, then you're not going to be tempted by lies. You'll be zealous for the truth. It means no matter how good someone's argument may seem. Let's take atheism as an example. No matter how good that, that, that argument is, and even if you don't have a comeback, you still don't believe it to be true because of sound doctrine. Because of the Word of God. So when these arguments come, it doesn't bring doubt. It affirms what you believe about God's Word. And that His Word is the final truth. So young men, while knowing doctrine, still haven't reached the final stage of Christian growth. Because John adds fathers. He says that they are fathers. A third category. 
Now, spiritual fathers have gone from strength to strength. They've experienced the relationship and can relate the relationship with the knowledge. Listen, I've seen a lot of young believers be so zealous for the truth, especially in seminary, right? When you go to seminary and, and, and you've, you've not been part of a reformed church, I mean, that just rocks your boat. And so you're like, huh? No, no, this is, uh, this is new to me. So I've seen in that how young believers are so zealous for the truth that they become unloving towards those who think different, who believe different. So it means growth still needs to happen. Right? Don't be excited to shoot someone down and kind of leave them there. No, 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 that's not loving. So a spiritual father can take the relationship which a spiritual baby experiences and takes the knowledge and the information and they go together. So now I know these things about God, that He is loving, but at the same time He's a God of wrath. At the same time, the Psalms says that His anger burns against the sinner. Yet, His Word also says that His steadfast love endures forever. A spiritual Father reconciles these truths. Are you with me? It's more than just about information, but it's a relationship that and this relation, uh, information that go hand in hand. It's the pursuit in, in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says to know Him. Friends, our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is more than just knowledge. It's a relationship, but it's also more than a relationship. It's a relationship in which we share His knowledge. So as a, as, as a piety, we're zealous because we were saved. We're in Him. As a young man, we might be unloving in certain cases because the zeal is for truth. It's for the Word. It's for conviction. But as a spiritual father, he says this, You know Him who is from the beginning. You know Him. Genosko. You share an intimate knowledge, or an intimate relationship rather. You share an intimate relationship with Him. Friends, we get to this intimate relationship, not just by being excited about His love, but also by searching His character, studying His truths. I mean, what do we know about the attributes of God? How deep have you gone to try and study this God who you say you love, this God who you say you serve. Listen, even as a spiritual father, don't think you have arrived and say, but I am in the third category. That's where I am. I think on, in all three of these categories, there's still no level playing field. We're still pursuing the relationship. We're still pursuing knowledge. The danger is when we think we've arrived. You know why young Christians, or the reference John uses, young men, why young men don't grow up? They choose to be stuck on what they know. That's it. 
I know this. And there's no love. There's no devotion. There's not even a willingness to accept when they're wrong. That's pride, my dear friend. Even as spiritual fathers, there could be um, circumstances or issues where spiritual fathers are being unloving or when they aren't pursuing the truth in a necessary time. Now, regardless of these things, whether you are a pietier, a young man, or a spiritual father, you have experienced the unconditional love of God. Amen? As a believer, you have. If you say, but I've never felt it, don't worry. It's not a feeling. It's a position. It's a position. That's also where um, piety can be led astray. It's because a lot of young believers rest on feeling and emotion. So when we sing and it doesn't feel like I'm worshipping, it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. We have to reconcile our relationship and this information so that we aren't blown away by Satan's deception. So that we aren't unloving to those who are different than us. See, when you grow as a young man into a father, uh, your, your knowledge isn't just about doctrine anymore, but it's about the God who is behind it. How do you grow as a spiritual young man? When you're strong in the Word. That's what John says. And when you're strong in the Word, you'll become a spiritual father. But, bring it all together. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years and act like a, a pioneer, whether you've been a Christian for two years and act like a spiritual father, the question stands, do you believe you're growing? Do you believe that you are conforming into the image of Christ? My dear friends, what makes one who is a spiritual child become a spiritual young man? What is it that makes a spiritual young man become a spiritual father? The Word of God. The Word of God. John says, it's the Word that abides in you. The word abide means to live, it means to dwell. Until the Word becomes real in your life, you're not going to experience growth. Until you see, what is, I mean, what does John call this Word in his Gospel? Let's go there before I conclude. This is a bonus one. The Gospel of John. This is very important, dear friends. John chapter 1. What does John call the Word? Because we want to grow. We want to become like Christ. And we think we can do that just by being mystical. By, by praying. By serving the church. By giving money. By, by 
service in the community. That's not how we grow. That's not how we become like Christ. We become like Christ because of His Spirit and because of this living Word. John says in his Gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This is Christ. He is the Word. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. My dear friends, the secret to Christian growth is no secret. The reality is the Word of life. The Word is transforming. Without this knowledge, how are we going to pursue God? How are we going to change? We need His Word. And don't think you can just study the Word. As an, as an unbeliever, the Word of God does nothing for you. It's only with the Spirit of God when the truths make connection with our heart. Let's give thanks for this Word. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this message in 1 John. That we can have the assurance that we are growing as we pursue to be in relationship with you. As we pursue to be in fellowship with you. As your Spirit enables us, Lord Jesus. I ask that let us not be wrapped up in performance. That we want to perhaps move from a baby to a young man or a young man to a spiritual father. But that these categories are just to give us perspective of where we should be as believers. Lord, I pray that just through your grace, we would grow each day more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we give thanks and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.